1 Kings chapter 17. That's where we'll spend most of our time together today. 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. To her, the gates of Zarephath seemed like the gates of death. Her husband was dead. She was about to die. She was starving. Her son was starving. Prophets of the Lord were being slaughtered and killed. Baal worship was supreme. The God of nature and fertility was unable to do a single thing for his People, there was no bread, no food, no rain, and absolutely no water. There was absolutely no hope. And so, with a handful of flour, a jar of oil, and a bundle of sticks, this starving widow begins to prepare what she believes is her last meal. But little does she know that the one true God of wonders is about to work in her life in ways that she would have never imagined. About a hundred miles southwest of Zarephath, by the brook Cherith, clad in only a leather belt and a hairy cloak around his back, Elijah, too, found himself in a very desperate and in a very hopeless situation. There was no bread, there was no food, there was no water, there was absolutely no rain. The brook had dried up, and Elijah's future seemed to be uncertain. But little did he know that the one true God of wonders was about to work in his life in ways that he would have never imagined. And so this morning we ask ourselves the question, how? How was God able to work in the lives of these two individuals? How was God able to use a starving widow from Zarephath and a famished prophet from Gilead to ultimately fulfill his will? How in the world was God able to use the lives of these two individuals? How was God able to bring these two individuals from a state of poverty to a place of prosperity? How did God work in their lives? God was able to work in their lives by first reminding them of who He was. God reminded them that He is a God who works in unpredictable ways. Just after Elijah's source of strength and sustenance vanishes away, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8, Then the words of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. That was a very strange, unusual, and peculiar command that God made to his prophet. Elijah, I want you to leave the security and the familiarity of Israel and go to Zarephath. Go to Zarephath and be fed by a widow. God was asking Elijah to go straight into enemy territory. Who lived in Zarephath? Who lived in Sidon? Who was from that place? 
the wicked, the despicable, the awful Queen Jezebel. The Jezebel who influenced her husband to completely eradicate God from the nation of Israel. The same Jezebel who who influenced her husband, King Ahab, to, to, to build this shrine for Baal at the capital city of the Lord. This Jezebel who, who slaughtered and killed prophets of the Lord. This Jezebel who, who robbed and stoned honest, good-working, hard-working men. This same Jezebel who would ultimately take away Elijah's life. God was asking Elijah to go to a place full of people like Jezebel. Pagan, godless, Phoenician, idolatrous territory. That didn't make much sense. I'm sure that's not what Elijah predicted God would tell him to do, but God works in unpredictable ways. But not only did God tell Elijah to go into enemy territory, God told Elijah to go into enemy territory and be fed by a widow. Be fed by a woman. Be fed by a woman who could not even take care of herself. Be fed by a woman who had absolutely nothing. That doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense that God asked this widow to feed Elijah. I'm sure she never predicted a God would call upon her in her poverty and ask her to feed someone else. But the point that God was trying to make to them in this very hopeless and helpless situation was, He is a God who works in unpredictable ways. And so after God asked Elijah and this widow to do the unexpected, they did the unexpected. The text says in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 10, So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, Pay attention to this. As the Lord, your God lives. This is your God. Not my God. As the Lord, your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son so that we may eat it and die. God has asked Elijah to go into Zarephath and to be fed by this widow. Elijah gets into the city. He asks this widow to give him something to drink. The widow says, okay, I'll get you something to drink. As she's getting his drink, Elijah calls out again, give me some bread. The woman says, are you kidding me? Are you serious? I know this God of yours sent you here so that I could take care of you. I know that this God of yours cares about you. I know that this God of yours is preparing and making revisions for you. I know that he loves you. But all that I have is a handful of flour, a jar of oil, and a few sticks Let me prepare this last meal for myself and for my son so that we can eat in peace and die. Are you seriously asking me to give me some food? In this passage, it seems as if this widow 
hasn't yet realized that Elijah's God is her God too. In this passage, it seems as if this widow hasn't yet realized that Elijah's God cares about her too. Here in 1 Kings chapter 17, up until this point, it seems as if this widow hasn't yet realized that God desires all men to be saved. God loved that widow just as much as He loved Elijah. And so after Elijah asked this woman for bread, and after this woman says, all I have is a jar of oil, some, some flour, and a few sticks, Elijah says to her in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 13, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the one Lord, the one true God. Thus says the Lord, my Lord, your Lord, and your son's Lord. There is only one Lord, the Lord of all creation. Thus says the singular Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord, the singular Lord, sends rain upon just Israel, sends rain upon Gilead, sends rain upon Reuben, Simeon, Gad, Asher, Dan. No, the Lord will send rain upon the earth. He'll send rain upon Israel, and he will send rain upon Israel. Zarephath. He'll send rain upon his nation's land and he'll send rain upon pagan Gentile territory. He'll send rain upon the entire earth because he is a God who has a desire to save all men. He is a God who loves all men. He is a God who cares about all of his creation. God will send rain upon the earth. Verse 15. And so she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. Why did she, he, and her household eat for many days? Because God loved, God cared for, and God had a desire for she, he, and her household to be saved. God was working through the lives of Elijah and he was working through the lives of this widow by showing them that he is a God who desires all men to be saved. And the text continues to say in verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. God was working in the lives of of a starving widow from Zarephath and a famished prophet from Gilead by showing them that he is a God who desires all men to be saved. But not only that, God was working in the lives of these two individuals by showing them that he is a God who is faithful to his promises. He is a God who is faithful to His promises. Just after the Lord blesses Elijah and just after the Lord blesses the widow and the widow's son, abundantly, tragedy strikes. The widow's son gets sick and to the point of death. The text says in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 17, 
After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said, Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Elijah, what is your problem? Why have you come here? Have you come here only to bless my household and kill my son? Have you come here only to bless my household and expose all of my sins, expose all of my faults and have my son killed? Is that why you've come here? Elijah says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 19, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing your son, her son? Here in this passage, it seems as if Elijah's disposition is the same as the woman's. Lord, why have you sent me here? Lord, why did you bring me to the house of this starving widow who has a starving son who's about to die? Why have you sent me to the house of these people only to bless them, only to have her son die? It seems as if Elijah's faith was just as rocky as the widow's faith in this moment. It seems as if both the widow and Elijah had not yet recognized that God was faithful to his promises. God told both Elijah and the widow that if they obeyed him, if they trusted in him, he would provide for them. And after the widow's son dies, They abandon God. They throw in the towel. They quit. They question God. But here in this moment, God is about to show them both that He is a God who is always faithful to His promises. The text continues to say in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 21, after Elijah pours out his heart to God, questioning the faithfulness of God. Bible says in verse 21, Then Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See... Your son lives. Elijah was able to see that God is always faithful to his promises. See, your son lives. And then the woman, the widow, she too was able to realize that God is always faithful to his promises. Look at her statement in verse 24. The text says, And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now I know that you are truly from the Lord. Now I know that this God of yours is also my God. Now I know that this God of yours cares about me. Now I know that this God of yours, this God is my God. Now I know that this God is always faithful to His promises. God 
was able to work in the lives of a starving widow from Zarephath and a famished prophet from Gilead by reminding them of who he was. God is a God who works in unpredictable ways. He is a God who has a desire for all of his creation to be saved. And he is a God who is always faithful to his promises. Today is April the 7th, 2019. And this is the same God that we serve today. We still serve a God who works in unpredictable ways. We still serve a God who has a desire for all of his creation to be saved. And we still have a God who is always faithful to his promises. There may be someone here this morning who is starving. There may be someone here this morning who is famished. There may be someone here this morning who is completely and totally spent. And I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. There may be someone here this morning who is totally spiritually drained. Because you have allowed the God of this world, to blind you from the gospel of the glory of Christ. You have allowed all of the cares, all of the riches, all of the trials, all of the tribulations, all of the things of this life to completely and totally drain you of all things good. Perhaps, perhaps, maybe that is where you are this morning. Maybe you are spiritually drained. I have good news for you today. Just as God was able to revive this widow in her poverty, just as God was able to revive Elijah in his poverty, just as God was able to to, to transform their lives into something great, God can transform your life into something great. God can revive you. He can take your life from a place of spiritual poverty to a place of spiritual prosperity. But you must first remember who He is. When you are spiritually drained, remember that we serve a God who works in unpredictable ways. It didn't make any sense for Elijah to leave Israel and go to enemy territory. It didn't make sense for Elijah to leave Israel and go to enemy territory to be fed by a widow. That didn't make much sense. It didn't make much sense for that widow in her poverty to be expected to feed another man. That didn't make much sense. But ladies and gentlemen, what didn't make much sense to us, what may not have made much sense to the widow, and what may not have made much sense to Elijah, made perfect sense to God. And when they trusted in Him, when they believed in Him, when they obeyed the Lord, wonderful things happened in their lives. There may be someone here this morning who is spiritually drained because you're thinking about all of the things that God has commanded you to do that don't make much sense. It doesn't make sense that I have to love my neighbor just as much as I love myself. It it, it doesn't make much sense that I have to count others more more significant than I count myself. It, It doesn't make much sense that if someone slaps me on my left cheek, I have to give him my right cheek. It doesn't make much sense that if someone takes my tunic, I have to give him my cloak. 
It, it doesn't make much sense that, that, that if someone asks me to go one mile, I must go with them two miles. It doesn't make much sense that I have to love my enemies and pray for those who, who spitefully use me. It doesn't make much sense that I have to give up my life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. That may not always make much sense to us, ladies and gentlemen, but guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what makes sense to us. It makes complete and perfect sense to God. During the days of the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk is wondering why in the world the Lord isn't working in the lives of the children of Israel. He's wondering why in the Lord, why in the world the Lord hasn't done something about all of the oppression that his people are facing. And God says to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse number 5, Look among the nations and be astounded. I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. You wouldn't believe it if I told you because I am a God who works in unpredictable ways. Friends, we serve a God whose ways are past finding out. We serve a God whose wisdom and whose knowledge is unsearchable. This is the God of wonders. He works in unpredictable ways and He has asked us to do many, many things that may not make much sense to us, but we must recognize that it is for our own good. It didn't make much sense that Christ had to leave the glories of heaven and come to this earth as a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped in, a, wrapped in rags, lying in a manger, an animal's feeding trough, that didn't make much sense. It didn't make much sense that the Son of Man had to come to this earth as the suffering servant and and, and humble himself to an earthly father and mother and, and fashion together chairs and benches. It didn't make much sense that the Son of God had to gird himself with a towel and wash his disciples' feet. It didn't make much sense that the Son of Man had to be despised and rejected by men and beaten and tortured and slapped and spit at and mocked and nailed to a cross on a bloody hill. That didn't make much sense. But you want to know what else didn't make much sense? That three days later there was an empty tomb. That doesn't make much sense to any of us, does it? No one has ever risen from the grave, but Christ did. Guess what? The fact that Christ left heaven to come to this earth, even though it didn't make much sense, it has resulted in eternal life for all men. And so the point that I'm trying to make this morning is, if we are spiritually depleted, if we are spiritually malnourished, recognize, recognize that God works in unpredictable ways. Trust in Him, have faith in Him, have confidence in Him, obey Him, and God, just as He was able to do for Elijah, and just as He was able to do for that widow, can work in your life in ways that you would have never imagined. Remember that we serve a God who works in unpredictable ways. But not only that, when you are spiritually depleted, remember that we serve a God who desires all men to be saved. We serve a God who desires all men to be saved. God had a desire for for Elijah to be fed and to be taken care of. God had that same desire for that pagan, heathen widow to be fed and to be taken care of. And God used the Israelite 
to feed and to take care of the widow, and God used the widow to feed and to take care of the Israelite. Why? Because God is showing us that He has a desire for all men to be saved. There may be someone here this morning who is spiritually depraved because they do not believe that they are worthy enough of salvation. I'm not, I'm not rich enough. I'm too rich. I'm not educated enough. I'm too educated. I'm not from this part of town. I'm from that part of town. I'm from that part of town and not this part of town. I'm this, I'm that. I'm too red. I'm too yellow. I'm too black. I'm too white. It doesn't matter, ladies and gentlemen. All men and all women are precious in the sight of the Lord. And, and, and our value and our worth does not come from what we look like and it does not come from where we have come from, our value and our worth is in the simple fact that God created us. The fact that God created us makes us valuable. The fact that God created us is a testament to the fact that God desires all men to be saved. There may be someone here this morning who's saying, well, well, Tim, I understand that, but you, you just don't understand all of the horrible and awful things that I've done in my life. I've done things that you wouldn't even believe. I'm such a horrible, awful sinner. And there's no way in the world that God will ever forgive me of my sins. There's no way in the world that that the blood of Jesus is going to wipe away what I have done. False. That's a lie. That's a lie that the devil tries to tell you because the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, says that while we were in that state, while we were weak at the right time, Just at the right time, when we were about to be eternally lost, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely will one die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. That makes a little bit of sense. But you want to know what doesn't make sense? That while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so, back to the original point. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what horrible and awful things that you have done in your life. God still loves you. He sent His Son to die for you while you were in that state. And it doesn't matter how far you have drifted, if you return to the Lord, He will accept you with open arms. We see it in Luke chapter 15 with the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. God rejoices over the sinner who has returned because we serve a God who desires all men to be saved. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you have come from. It doesn't matter what type of sin you may have in your life. God loves you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, everyone, that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves and He cares about all men. And when we are spiritually drained, when we are spent, when we are spiritually malnourished, if we want to be revived, then remember this fact about God. And God, just as He was able to do for Elijah, and just as He was able to do for that widow, can work in your life in ways that you would have never imagine but not only that third and finally and we are spiritually drained remember that we serve a God who is always faithful to his promises we serve a God who is always faithful to his promises 
God promised Elijah, if you go to Zarephath, if you allow that widow to feed you, you'll be taken care of. God told Elijah to tell the widow, if you take care of this prophet, you'll be taken care of. And guess what happened? They were taken care of. And and even when, even when that widow's son died, God revived that little boy to life. Because he is a God who is always faithful to his promises. There may be someone here this morning who has given up on God. They've thrown in the towel. Their faith has been put to the test. Because of perhaps sin. Because of perhaps sickness. And because of death. Their faith has been put to the test. They've abandoned God. Maybe there's someone here this morning who is in that faithless situation. I have some wonderful, wonderful news. No matter how faithless we may be, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 tells me that God remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It doesn't matter what you may or may not believe about God because of all the trials and tragedies in life. God remains faithful. Death is something that affects all of us. And death is something that often causes men and women to lose faith and trust in God. Death was something that caused that widow and Elijah to lose faith trust, and confidence in God. But in spite of her son's death, God brought that child to life. And in spite of your loved one's sickness or death that may have perhaps caused you to lose faith, God will bring that person back to life. In John chapter 11, as an entire household is grieving over a man who has been dead for three days, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And I'm here this morning to tell you, your brother will rise again. Your sister will rise again. Your father will rise again. My mother will rise again. Why? Because God has told me they will rise. Because death has been swallowed up in victory. Because Christ came to this earth, He suffered and He died, and there was an empty tomb. And the only way that you can can explain an empty tomb is through the power of God who raises the dead. That is what He has promised. And we can look forward to the day when that archangel will shout, when the trumpet will sound, when the Lord will descend from the sky with the cry of command, and He will call all of those who have died in Christ to be with Him in the air. And then those who are alive and remain in Christ will be caught up together with Him, and they shall forever be with the Lord in an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and one that will not fade away. That is what we can look for forward to if our lives are in Christ. That is what He has promised. That is what God has promised to the child of God. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do I believe that? Do I believe that God is always faithful to His promises? If you do, He can revive you from a state of spiritual weakness from a state of spiritual poverty 
to a place of spiritual prosperity. In Luke chapter 4, just before Jesus is about to begin his earthly ministry, he stands before a crowd of people and he tells them about all of the wonderful things that he came to this earth to do. He came to this earth to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty to the captive, to give sight to the blind, do all these wonderful things. And as Jesus is saying these things, the crowd is astounded. They're astonished at the words that Jesus is saying. This, this, is, this is Joseph and Mary's son. We saw him grow up. They don't believe him. Jesus, if you can do all these wonderful things, why haven't you done them here in Nazareth? Why haven't you done them here in your hometown? Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 24, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Here, Jesus is making the point to this crowd that just as God sent Elijah into pagan territory, he has sent him into pagan territory. God has sent Christ into this earth to go beyond his hometown to save all men. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, God could have used any prophet. He could have sent that prophet anywhere. But God chose to use Elijah. And He chose to use that widow of Zarephath to show us what true faith in God looks like. And so the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is, in spite of all the trials, in spite of all the challenges, in spite of all of the heartache that may cause us to be spiritually depleted, will you have the same type of faith as Elijah? Will you have the same type of faith as this widow? If so, God can revive you from a state of spiritual poverty to a place of spiritual prosperity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we love you. We adore you. We praise your magnificent, wonderful name. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the example of Elijah and this widow. We thank you so much for their faith that shows us how to be faithful. We pray that we will have this type of faith when we are spiritually weak. We pray that you will continue to work in our lives in ways that we would never imagine. We thank you so much for Jesus and his example and all that it means to us. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.